Okay. Uh, so this year, we're doing a series. Who can tell me what the series is called? Our Rhythm Defines Us. That's right. Today, I want to share a message and a theme with that. And uh, as you know, you know me well, I, I do my research, you know, leading up to the, the time of, of me sharing. I, I, I love that responsibility. I get lost in it. And this week, I, I ended up pondering that question, um, where do babies come from? Now, you might be pleased to hear that I found the answer on YouTube. So let's get the sound up. And uh, let's, can you just push the space bar? Thanks. Dad, where do babies come from? Uh, oh, well, there's a, th th there's a planet. It's called Babylandia. That's right, it's filled with babies. Uh-huh, babies of all kinds. And when the time is just right, there's a space launch. All systems go. <laughs> they wave goodbye, and then they, they board these big, shiny rocket ships, right? They shoot off high in the sky, and they fly through space, and then they, they penetrate the atmosphere. And then they're released all over the place. Yeah, Africa, the, the Indian Ocean, uh, the, well, everywhere. After an amazing nine-month journey, they find their mommies and daddies. And that, son, is where babies come from. But Jake said babies are made when mommies and daddies... You go, play with us on the bus. So the good news is uh, babies do come from mummies and daddies. We'll leave it at that. Um, but the reason that I was, I suppose, pondering that or uh, wondering it was... You know, I have a limited understanding of the technical nature of what I'm going to refer to today as our DNA, the makeup inside of us. Uh, the honest truth is, I was, I was a little bit slow at school when it came to science, not my strength. Um, and I never really got the lessons about DNA. So um, I'm going to get you to do my slides for me today. Thanks, Liam, because my battery and my remote's dead. But um, what I never learned at school was that mummy gives, contributes 23 chromosomes, and daddy contributes 23 chromosomes, and that gives the baby 46 chromosomes. That was math, so I could do that part. All right, and that single cell uh, that's merged, we won't go into how that happens, but um, that single cell merges and then multiplies, and we, we have millions of cells in our body, each one of us. Look around, look at your hand, you've got millions of cells. And so I, I researched this, and I discovered that um, there are uh, some things that interested me, and I'm just going to share them with you, because I've, I have got a place I'm leading us to. So for those interested, uh, I want you to know that we are made up, you are made up of a unique combination of stuff that comes from mum and dad, your mummy and daddy. That's the good news. You probably knew that. Your body is made up of millions of cells, and those cells are contributed to you in the, in the DNA that your parents give you. The technical term inside this creation is a genome, I won't get into that, but inside the genome are chromosomes 
which are a picture of, of, of this DNA strand up here. There's like this long string of beads. Just imagine that, the beads you might get at a craft store. And each one of those beads is referred to as a gene. So when you are told, well, you've got your mummy's genes or your daddy's genes, they're not meaning trousers, they're meaning the little beads of information that make up your DNA. This is what makes you unique. Every single person is a unique creation. And I've got to stop there because that's really all I got. Um, I, I confess my, uh, my, my lack of intelligence in this area, and, and I apologize to those of you that are sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is embarrassing, but, <laughs> because I know we've got some scientists in the room, but uh, what I'm trying to lead to is that we're each a unique creation, and we're made up, the substance of our body is made up of all this stuff that is called our DNA. It's physical, right? So you're not going to argue with me if I tell you to poke yourself in the face or poke your neighbor in the ribs, and you're going to find substance. Each one of us has a body. Do you want to check that out? Okay, well, we'll keep going. Um, God says in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image. And that's what he did. He created mankind, man and woman, in his image. He's a triune God. He's what's called a tripart um, God. He is God the Father, God the Son. Okay, just checking you're awake. Okay, so, so there's your three parts to God, and therefore he's made us in three parts. You can poke the body, but you also have other parts. You have a soul, and you have a spirit. Paul writes about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who were at School of the Spirit recently, we, how to make the Bible come alive, that is what I just read, is what is called a literal translation, word for word from the original language. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Why am I telling you this? Let's have a look at the next slide. You poke your substance, that's awesome, but what I want to tell you is your physical state does not allow you access to God. Even though you're made in His image, your physical state does not allow you access to God. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to have a little bit of a look at a short conversation. Jesus has a visitor and he has this conversation with this man, very intelligent man, seeking out Jesus in order to understand. He's, he's not sure what's going on with this guy, Jesus, but as we're going to see and hear shortly, what this man sees and hears in the physical state is not sufficient for him to understand. And I want us to catch that this morning. This is where you come in. I want to make everyone sure that everyone's listening to this message, everyone that's, that's following along, understands we cannot access God by keeping our focus on the natural, by what you see with your natural eyes. There might be a deeper revelation for some of you today. I hope so. I hope so. In my personal uh, devotional reading this week, um, I was meandering through Psalm 119. And I've got to say, uh, anyone read Psalm 119? Just three. Oh, goodness me. I've got work to do. Psalm 119 is a biggie. It's the biggest chapter in the Bible. Uh, but I love it. And uh, the reason I love it is that it takes 22 different looks at the Holy Scripture. 
fascinating. There's poetic structure in that that I can't explain to you um, based on the Hebrew language and, and how it was written. But here's what I found, a little gem that I found in Psalm 119. Let me read it to you. Lord, I'm longing for more of your salvation, for I want to do what pleases you. You know, sometimes you're reading the Bible and you just you bump into something and you're like, whoa, I'm just going to stop. And I just let that settle in me. Now, I was reading a paraphrased translation of the Bible, a version of the Bible, and it contains this wonderful thought that we can advance ourselves in our salvation, that we can experience more of God. I've spoken of this many, many times, saying that we should walk our faith out with God and advance and progress our freedom, because there's more freedom for you to obtain. The Bible calls it maturity, quite simply. Now, the reason why you might want to listen this morning is for some of you, I think you might need to walk path of maturity. That sort of criticism, that's an invitation that's based on Scripture. It's much, much better to be slightly uncomfortable than to remain blissfully unaware of what God's got for you down the path. We prayed about this this morning in our pre-service prayer, and there were scriptures that were brought and and, and messages from God, and, you know, um, sometimes it's not comfortable when you're getting pruned. But the gardener's close. He's doing his work because of what he sees. Let's get the next slide up. This is the title of today's message for those taking notes. I want to take a moment to look at this concept that I call born-again DNA. This is the rhythm that defines us as a family. This is who we should be. This is what makes us different than those who do not know Jesus in a personal relationship. Our born-again DNA is, is what comes upon us on the inside when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are literally changed on the inside. It rewires us. It rewires our chromosomes. It rewires everything. Not so much in a scientific way, but in a born-again way, you are a new creation. Being born again gives you a new future. You should be grateful for that. Born again should change every day of your life. And this is what makes us different. How we choose to view this or how you choose to adopt this as your personal lifestyle will make you different than even others in the room. So I'm inviting you this morning to consider how you live out your faith in born-again DNA in order that you might see what Jesus sees and what he explains to us in this story. So I want to take you on a journey. I want to look at a scripture. Let's, let's begin that now. And we're going to look at a conversation. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3, swipe the screen, whatever you do. There's an encounter here between John and a man called Nicodemus. And I want to look at this conversation but what I'd like to do, as a side note, is I'd like, you to I'd like to invite you to consider perhaps looking at this during the week, more than just this morning. Take time, one day, two days, five days this week, and read John chapter 3. The, verse the first 21 verses are focused on the conversation with Nicodemus in an evening one time. We're actually, because of time, only going to look at the first seven verses this morning. So there's more for you to look at. I'd encourage you, grab a different translation. You can get that on Bible Gateway if you don't have it on a bookshelf. And read it and ask God to show you something. As I always say, please read the scriptures to get to know the author. 
And I find repeated reading helps me with that. So there's a lot going on. Uh, let me just uh, ask you this. In the story that we're looking at today, who are the characters in the story? Jesus is one of the characters. Who's the other character in the story? Okay, anyone else? In this specific passage? Holy Spirit's there, maybe, of course. But Jesus and Nicodemus. Okay, so let's just dig into the characters in the story because it's really interesting to understand what you're reading when you just read the words. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we know that because we've got the rest of the Bible that helps us to understand that. Jesus is a Jewish man walking around with a whole bunch of friends doing some weird stuff. That's what Nicodemus sees. Your miracles tell us that you come from God. We'll read that in a minute. Jesus, Son of God. He's explaining the God thing in a different way than the Jews had done before. The, the kingdom that they thought was coming is here but not yet and it's nothing like we thought where's the white horse and why are the romans still here jesus is not the same as the other jewish leaders the second character in the story the man called nicodemus let's understand who he is we know from reading the story and other scriptures referencing nicodemus that he's a pharisee he's a leader in the jewish church He's trained himself over years and hopped over barriers and hurdles and knowledge requirements to become revered as one of the knowledgeable men in the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees are a group of 70 leaders that make up what we would just call as a council. They understand the law and they apply the law. And the Jews know that and submit to it. This is a very powerful man. It's a political position. It's kind of a teaching, a leadership position. And yet we find him coming to find Jesus. Have this conversation that we're going to look at. And I don't know if you've read this before. I have read this before, so I, I know what's coming. And as I'm preparing it, I had, I had a little chuckle to myself, you know, like, oh. Because this guy is an expert on the Bible. Does that make sense to you? He's a Pharisee. He's trained in Jewish ways. He doesn't get that without being an expert on the Bible. And in this time, it's the Old Testament. that we, What we call the Old Testament. They called it the Torah, the Scriptures, the Word of God. He's an expert. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament, I see Jesus all the way through it. The Old Testament points to the Savior, the Messiah. Nicodemus is an expert on that, and yet he's scratching around trying to find answers that he studied his whole life. Let's look at the first two verses of John chapter 3. Let's read them. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Hmm. What do we see here? Understanding the characters in the story, understanding a bit of the history, we find this man Nicodemus searching. His status isn't enough for him. 
His knowledge isn't enough for him. His perfect practice isn't enough for him. See, sooner or later, we'll all recognize that. Our job's not enough. Even our family's not enough. Our status or our house isn't enough. The recognition we have from our peers or those around us isn't enough. Sooner or later, we all go searching for Jesus. Nicodemus, as you read, comes under the cover of night. We don't know what time of night. Jesus is clearly awake, but he comes under the cover of night. Some experts say that he, he, he comes at night to hide from his peers. He comes after they've gone Betty buys, so that the other Pharisees, the members of the Sanhedrin council, don't know that he's talking to this weird guy, because they're not a fan. He's non-conforming, he's untrained, he's actually opposing them in some cases. And Nicodemus is, some say, Nicodemus is worried his friends might not like that. But Nicodemus comes in a way and shows us that he just doesn't understand Jesus. Ironically, catch this, ironically, he comes in the cover of darkness and sits with the one who's the light of the world. So we hear him say, we know God has sent you. You could be a prophet, like the old prophets we read about. Nicodemus says, your miraculous signs are evidence God is with you. He sees the signs, but he doesn't get the message. See, what we learn from this, even though all the signs point to Jesus, if you're looking in the natural, if you're looking in the natural, you won't see it. Only a heart searching for truth will see Jesus. How is that so? Well, we know this. Nicodemus teaches us that. See one more point on the screen? We've got to connect on a spiritual level. Please don't try and read the scriptures and understand them logically. Don't read the scriptures and put your, your training in place and, and expect to get revelation. Nicodemus shows every single one of us that we've got to connect with Jesus on a spiritual level. The only way to see Jesus is for us to shift from that physical state to that spiritual state, and then we start to get the message, and then we start to see Jesus, and then we begin to understand. We can't base our lives on the physical realm. That's my key point today. If you're, if you're confused by life or circumstances, if you're wondering why is stuff going on like this, Maybe you need to connect with Jesus on a spiritual level. Maybe. Again, that's not a criticism, that's an invitation. Maybe you're stuck in a paradigm that's limited by your physical understanding of what you see, but what I'm hoping you hear this morning is you can't base your perception on your natural sight. You have to go through a transformation, and we're about to see that explained to us. Jesus shows us how to make sure we're connected with him. Let's look at verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus. Not that Nicodemus asked a question. Jesus responds, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the words are pretty clear. 
You can unpack that any which way you like. You can read it in five different translations. It all says the same thing. Jesus says pretty clearly, you must be born again. Let's look at the first point on the screen. I don't think I'm telling you anything new when I say that spiritual birth is essential. I want, to, I want to parallel this scripture with another one if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 2, first three verses. Paul writes to the church and he puts another perspective on what Jesus is saying here much, much later after quite a bit of revelation. Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul puts it a different way. He says, man, you're already dead when you sin. Spiritual birth is essential. Jesus said you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You see, this is an interesting phrase here because Nicodemus is, is a trained Pharisee in the ways of the Jewish people and they had pinned their hopes on the kingdom coming. They're under oppression from the Romans. They're getting um, taxed. They're getting boxed in. They're getting oppressed. They've got restrictions on the way they can worship. And they're hoping that this kingdom is coming with a, they're assuming, a king on a horse with an army that's going to wipe out the Romans. So he's, he's fixed on that. But it's a different understanding. Jesus, Nicodemus is wanting the kingdom. He's wanting to see it. But in this one phrase, you must be born again. In this one phrase, Jesus completely obliterates Nicodemus' thinking and all his training. He smashes the knowledge that Nicodemus has been living for and he gives him the only way to access life with God. The point that Jesus wanted to drive home to Nicodemus is it's not about more knowledge. It's not about you getting a, another layer to the understanding of the Torah. It's not about you perfecting your practice and getting the herbs right and the balance of, of your um, daily activities. It's not about that, Nicodemus says Jesus. You've got to see yourself as a sinner. You've got to see yourself separated from God. And you've got to understand that I am the way. You need nothing more than a new life from God. The literal translation is, you must be born from above. Meaning, God is the author. This is not just turning over a new leaf. The new, new year, new me. No. It's not about, well, maybe I can just learn something and change the way I think. No, it's not that. Maybe, maybe I could just try to be a better person. No, that's not what Jesus means. But maybe it's a rebrand. What if I got a new image and, and I started working out and dieting? No, that's not enough. Jesus is saying, you must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, you'll know this verse well. Paul writes that when you come to Christ, you are a new person. The old life is gone completely. It's gone completely and you have a new life that has begun. This is a supernatural work that can only be done by God. Only be done by God. However, 
What Nicodemus is about to show us is that not everyone can access it. Let's make sure we notice it so that we don't miss it. Let's look at verse 4. Nicodemus responds to Jesus, What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Hmm. Okay. Think about this. What do you reckon Nicodemus is thinking at the moment? His emotions. I'm going to switch mics. Tell me what he's thinking. Kathy says he's thinking, ooh. What? what else is Nicodemus thinking? He's thinking in the natural mindset? Yep. So he's like, confused? Yes, Jason. It might be impossible. I think he's probably thinking that. Absolutely. What else is he? What's the emotion going on in the guy? Frustration? He, he doesn't know where he's at? Right? What else? If you're trained and learned and respected in your community, and in one sentence, Jesus totally obliterates the way you've based your life on, how do you feel? Angry, foolish. What else? Confused. That's right, confused. When we read the story, we've got to get and understand the character. The man's dressed up like a ponce. He wears special clothes so people respect him. He smells nice, and yet he's feeling like an idiot. Jesus doesn't do things the way we do them. We've got to understand that the way to connect to life with Jesus might just be different than the way we've understood before today. There's two different um, ways that you could look at this. Let's have a look. Let's, let's just get into this. Some, some people, when you read the, the writings and the commentaries and the, and the references to this passage, some suggest that Nicodemus is despondent. He's downcast. He's a little put to one side. He's saying, Jesus, are you saying that I need to be born again? It's too late for me. I'm too far down the wrong track. I've been this way all my life. It's too hard for me to shift my way of thinking. I'm an old man. I, I can't change. I don't want to change. Sound familiar? As you'll see on the screen, holding on to who you are will keep you from who you're created to be. Others, others say Nicodemus was rude in his response. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's, he's lashing out. So he's kind of like, what? Born again? Are you joking? Are you for real? Are you serious? Duh! Like almost quite arrogant and rude. Almost like a, a despising what Jesus is saying because it's so contrary to his understanding. What a ridiculous idea that is. Does that sound familiar? It's not what I think, so it's not right. Arrogance and independence will drive you away from truth and revelation. For many years, I've um, traveled, spoken in churches, 
all over the country. And for years, I've watched week after week, people deny the need to surrender. Sunday after Sunday, people go with the easy. They make an error like Nicodemus. Choosing not to die. Choosing not to be renewed. Choosing to be independent. Choosing not to be born from above. Please, let that not be you. But let me also add this. Please don't come up to me after a Sunday gathering and tell me you know you should have responded. Please don't come and tell me that your legs didn't work, you were stuck to the seat, you couldn't move. For goodness sake, the paralyzed man got his friends to carry him to Jesus. You can do the same. Please don't tell me you're going to leave it to another week when you feel better. Please don't deny what Jesus is trying to invite you into, and yet you're sitting in your seat going, mm, no, I just don't understand it. No, no, I'm too old. No, no, I've been this way for too long. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not dying. Please, learn from Nicodemus. Whichever way you interpret the scripture, don't deny the invitation to surrender and receive what he has. There's only one way to say it. It's on the screen. Flesh must be put to death. Maybe for you it's fear. That's real. I get that. Maybe it's pride. Mm, yeah, I can relate to that one too. But sooner or later, flesh must be put to death. My flesh must be put to death, and your flesh must be put to death. But, praise God, Jesus wants us to find freedom even more than we do. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. Jesus responds to Nicodemus, I assure you, truly, 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 the original language says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Jesus makes it clear, explicit, but it's still a warm invitation beyond any obstruction or excuse. Our physical birth will not get us into a relationship with God. What is born of the flesh only produces flesh, but what is born of the Spirit produces life. The Spirit gives us and our spirit, a new beginning. It's absolutely essential that every single person experiences a new birth, and I believe that comes through continually putting ourselves before Jesus. Let me connect this to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul writes, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. This is the good news. Paul writes to one of his spiritual sons, 
Titus, and he says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What we're talking about being born again is a spiritual rebirth that far beyond what we've experienced before. Praise God, our spirit has a new beginning. This is something as Christians, this regeneration, this new life, this being born from above, this is something we should be excited about. This is something we should give Him all the glory for. This is something we should think about when we sing the songs. We're not just clapping and following the words. We're expressing our heartfelt thanks for the new life we have. Is anyone else excited about that? Because I'm not sure that you're convincing me. I'm not sure you're actually really thankful. Where are you at? Come on. We should have a praise party. We should be jumping up and down on the seats. I know you're old. I know you're not youth. I know they're all away, but come on. Where's your excitement for being born again? Where's your understanding in the scriptures that says, man, I was wasted before. I was dead. I was gone in my sin. But for Jesus Christ, I've risen to a new life. It's the work of God in me that has regenerated me, that has given me a new spirit, that sets me in the high place with Jesus Christ. If I get any more excited, I'm going to spit to the fourth row. I don't know where you came from, but I know for me, I'm pretty thankful that I'm not there anymore. Let me land with this thought, and then you can sit back and ponder what I've shared with you. Let's put the new slide up. I want to tell you this. This is the key point this morning. This is the point. A born-again DNA is only accessed by a lifestyle of surrender. This is not a prayer you said when you were eight and that counts forever. It's much, much more than that. It's far beyond that. What I'm trying to get us into today is that we've got this lifestyle of surrender, which is continual. Because if you get old and set in your ways, you're going to miss the life God's got for you. When we talk at church here, this is our language. We do this. We say, you know, if you need to respond, you come to the altar. We say that. You might recognize that. Why do we use that language? Well, In the ways of living, discipline that God taught his people, Israel, they would take an offering to the altar and they would kill it. That's why we call it the altar. That you would bring what you need to bring death to to the altar and allow your life as a sacrifice to him. Why do we say come to the cross of Jesus Christ? We say that you need to come to the cross of Jesus Christ so you can associate not just with his death, but with his resurrection because the cross is empty. Come to the cross and receive the life that Jesus Christ has got for you. I want to finish with this scripture and then we're going to listen to a song. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He unpacks it for them because they're trained in the thinking of the Romans and he's like, come on, this is the new way of living. Romans Chapter 6 and verse 5. Since we've been united with him, Jesus, in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. This is why we come to the cross. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. 
For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Friends, you also live for the glory of God. Your lives as a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ is for his glory, not yours. May our lives of surrender lead us to a place where we continually offer glory to God for all that he's done, all that he's doing, and all that he's going to do. And that is only accessed based on how you will respond to him. We're going to listen to a new song. I've been playing this song over and over and over in my car. And I want you to listen to the words. We're going to put the words up for you so you can follow along if you want. I want you to listen to the music. I want you to understand that our lifestyle of surrender is all about us being more like Jesus. And the challenge for you today, the invitation is choose how you respond to Jesus. He's inviting you into much, much more. Let's play that song and then I'll come back and pray.
you stand? Let's everyone stand. Here, the Bible is so rich in demonstrating the love of God towards us that we would come to that place where we acknowledge that we can't do life without Him. I'll just ask if everyone could bow their heads and close their eyes, really just to remove distraction, to give a moment of privacy. But, you know, I can't share a message like that without giving an invitation. You know, the Bible teaches us that Jesus came and died for our sins, that we could be restored to a relationship with God. Maybe there's someone here that has never walked that path. The Bible also teaches us that we are reborn, we are regenerated before faith even comes into us. So you just have to do what you know is right, and God does the rest. That we would come to that place where we would respond in obedience to love that has been calling us since the day we were born. The love of God that overshadows anything in our past. The victory of God that defeats anything we struggle with in this moment. If that's you, I'm inviting you to respond this morning. If you've walked away, if you've never been in a place of relationship with Jesus Christ, then all you have to do this morning is just put your hand up and wave at me. There's only two of us watching. We just want to make sure that we can support you in that, but I cannot honestly present a message like that without giving an invitation to every single person here. If you know God's nudging you this morning, if he's, if he's turning your stomach over or if he's, he's, he's speaking hope into your mind, your heart, then this is that moment of response. I'm inviting you to acknowledge that by just putting up your hand and I will see it. Thank you. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Thanks for that. That's amazing. Responses to Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, I see that. That's great. Thanks for that. That's awesome. More of him means less of us. Awesome. Thanks. You can put your hands down. We've had about four people put their hands up this morning. We celebrate. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can come. We can read the scriptures and we can see Jesus. This morning, well, I'm confessing my need. I want you to agree with me. You can say the same if if that counts for you, but we need you, Jesus. We need you in our lives. We need to surrender our lives afresh to you. We, We can't do it without your strength. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us, that our through our faith in you we can be received as sons and daughters of God, that through the mighty victory and resurrection of Jesus who walked out of the tomb, we can live with God forevermore. This morning, we humbly commit ourselves again afresh to a lifestyle of surrender. We choose to ask for your leadership to confess our weakness, to put to death the things that are drawing us away from you. We thank you for this moment. For those who responded this morning, we thank you, Lord.
for their courage, their obedience, and we pray your amazing blessing on them. For each family here, for those connected with us that are away, for our youth, God, we pray the blessing, the rich blessing of your presence be with each one of them. That we would know whose we are. In the precious name of Jesus.